Welcome to the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Welcome to also the Commonwealth Club. We're here Thursday at noon. I'm so excited about this new time. It really works for me, John. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm here with my co-host, John Zipper. And what we do here is we record my radio program that airs on Progressive Voices at 4 o'clock, California time, or... Meow time. Meow time. <laughs> um, the show is all about bringing in LGBTQ thought leaders to the club and to have a discussion around social justice and the issues that impact the LGBTQ community with an intersectional approach. Our guest this afternoon is the most photographed nun in the entire world, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of ours, a true community activist, um, an entertainer, a performer, a cultural icon. I mean, the list just goes on. And so it's Sister Roma. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe I even have time to be here. I'm so busy. That's amazing. You are busy. I, yeah. that's, thank you so much. That's lovely. I guess I am sort of a, a thought leader. Yeah. It's turned into that. I didn't start out thinking I would be anything of the sort, of course, but Well, let's here talk we are. about, you know, a little bit about, you know, your history. I mean, you've okay. been a sister or a part of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence for, uh, I guess, over 20 years. 30 years. 30 years. Mm-hmm. The organization is nearly 40 years old, and, oh. and uh, it started out as, in my opinion at least, a protest uh, or, or some kind of defiance against the rigid, rigid and d- discriminatory uh, practices in religion by certain religious leaders. It, it, it just... In my opinion, again, about, uh, you know, gender identity and Susan Stryker had once called it um, gender effing. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I can cuss here at the Commonwealth Club. Can I, John? The door's shut, however. You, have, <laughs> you, you do have two terrestrial radio stations carrying you, so uh, for their I, sake. I won't. I won't. But, um, but, yeah, in your own words, I mean, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence has raised over, uh, you know, a million dollars. It's all about activism. Um, so that's a part of your life. It is. Well, you know, the sisters, like you said, did start on Easter Sunday in 1979. And it was a giant F you to the norms and to the community that actually was surrounding them at the time. In the Castro, there was really, it was like everybody looked the same. There was a real sort of a, a need to assimilate and to fit in. And everybody everybody kind of looked like the Marlboro Man. Like they had mustaches <laughs> and flannel shirts and jeans. And it was just like you didn't cross that boundary. That's how everybody looked. And you had to look that way. And these guys got together, and they had these nuns' habits that they borrowed from a a convent in Iowa, and they decided to throw them on and just go out and see what would happen. And the reaction was insane. People just didn't understand what they were looking at. They couldn't believe what was before them. They went to the Castro. They went through um, the hate. They went out to the gay beach. And they just had a great time, and they realized that it was more... They thought they were just going to go do it for one time, and the reaction was so great, they decided to keep it up, and they probably smoked a few hallucinogens or something and decided to form a group, and they came up with the name The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, designed a great logo, which we still use to this day, and just kept going. And then all of a sudden, HIV and AIDS reared its ugly head in our community, and people started to get sick, and they started to die and it was very visible. The effects of AIDS at the beginning, before it was even called AIDS, were devastating. People were losing hundreds of pounds. They were covered in carposies, and they were losing their jobs, their homes, their families, their friends. People were just 
afraid. There was so much fear and stigma around it. Nobody understood it. And the sisters were the first group ever to hold a fundraiser for people who were sick and dying who needed money. And the first group ever to produce a safer sex planet called Playfair, which helped people avoid sexually transmitted diseases, which is what the sisters realized HIV AIDS was. And so the thing that inspired me to join the sisters when I discovered them was that how fearless the sisters were and what pioneers they have always been in the face of HIV and AIDS and drag phobia and homophobia, misogyny, and all the things that come into it when you do drag, especially when you're dressed as a nun. It's, it's funny when you, you're talking about how going out into the Castro, which was very, forgive the term, straight-jacketed in, in the, the way people presented themselves, because when you're talking about kind of a big F, you, uh, yeah, I, I saw it as more originally as kind of a, uh, a message to the straight world, but it was to both, wasn't it? Right, absolutely. And also just the fact that you present yourself as a nun, which is a strong, powerful, and emotional icon, to so many people around the world, it, it strikes people on a lot of different levels. And, and um, so being called the most photographed nun in the world, of course, every time we say that, you know, Mother Teresa's <laughs> ghost weeps. Uh, <laughs> I hear that all the time. Now, let me explain why, that, why I came up with that name. And, it's, and it is true, I love to be photographed, but the thing is that uh, one year I was at the Folsom Street Fair, which, as you know, is an event that attracts like hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And it was hot. And I had been walking the streets with friends and people kept stopping and wanting photographs. And my feet hurt. And we made it up to my friend Jay's apartment. And I was just exhausted and, and just in a really bad mood. And I complained about, oh, if one more person asked me for a photo... I'm just going to, I can't take it anymore. And my friend Jay looked at me and he said, you know, you better enjoy it because one day no one will. Oh, yeah. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such a, I can't believe I'm I'm acting this way. I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize he was absolutely right and that I should always be grateful and be humble for the fact that people are interested or want a photo or that that they notice me at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so, and the thing that I like about it is that when you take a photo with a group of people or someone, if you take a selfie, what you do is you grab them and you hold them. And it's just, it's a beautiful way to reach out and communicate and really touch people. And it's just, it's lovely. It's, and so I will never to this day ever turn down a photograph. And sometimes it annoys my friends. My best friend is here today. <laughs> and you know how it is when we're walking and people will be like, where's Roman? They'll turn around and I'm back there doing photos with somebody. And sometimes people won't wait. And I'm like, I'll catch up with you guys. It's fine. I was just going to ask for a photo. But later, it's, <laughs> I, I have some photos with you. Yeah, we uh, do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, just about your personal experience of being a, a sister. Um, of course, there's controversy around the idea of being a sister, right? And not a lot of people understanding what it's all about until you really understand the work of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Even for myself as like a, a baby dyke in, uh, you know, the early 2000s and and remembering seeing a sister for the first time, I was like, wow, that's so offensive. And and even, you know, that brought out my repressed inner homophobia because you know i think members of the lgbtq community you have you have a little bit about that yourself because you're used to being or you have experienced um, some type of rejection in your life 
or maybe I'm just talking about my own inner homophobia. <laughs> it was like crickets. Awkward. Awkward. No, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, because you were taught, you were told that, especially in religious circles, that everything about you is wrong if you were in a religious circle. So I was just wondering if uh, that was something that you had to reconcile ever with, with, with yourself, with community members, or explain to somebody uh, and over-explain. Well, Yes. I mean, we do face that a lot. There are still people today who are completely incensed and outraged and find us blasphemous and and have major problems with us. And they don't understand who we are, really understand who we are and what we really do. But enough about Mike Pence. Talk about right. the, the group. Right. A perfect example. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Personally, um, I was raised Catholic. I went to a private Catholic college. And Conservative background, right? Pretty much, yeah. Grand Rapids, Michigan is very Christian, Reformed, very white. Very, it's a, it was a great place to grow up for me. Okay. Um, but as soon as I went to college, I discovered the gay bars and the, if, I guess you would consider it the underbelly of the city. But that's where I really found people that became some of my best friends and I related to the best. And um, in the four years that I was at that Catholic college, I think it's interesting that I was never inspired to do anything civic-minded or very spiritual. It wasn't until I moved to San Francisco after graduating in 1985, I had spent a couple years just really living the young gay dream. I mean, I was just out of control. And one of my best friends was Norman, who was a bartender over on Fillmore Street, and one day we were, a bunch of us after work were at the Midnight Sun, and we were having drinks, and... um, in through the door blew this creature that was dressed like a showgirl clown nun. And everybody in the bar just stopped what they were doing for the first time that night and just looked at her. And she was smiling and laughing and seemed to know everybody by name and was just beautiful to me and enchanting. And she walked right up to me and said, hi, Michael. And I was like, do I, do I know you? Who are you? And he said, it's me. It's Norman. I go, what are you doing? <laughs> And he said, he said, I'm one of the sisters. And I had never even heard of the sisters. Mm-hmm. But that's he brought me into the group, and it changed my life forever. Because all of a sudden, what I learned about the things, not only with HIV and AIDS, but with human rights and the activism and the, the exorcism of the Pope and some of the things that the sisters did that really pissed a lot of people off, I realized that I cared about my community, and I cared about equal rights, and I cared about people who were less fortunate, and I really was inspired to join and determine to uh, not make my existence be in vain. I want to believe that my having been here has helped in some way to make the world a better place. How, how many members are there of the sisters? Well, at the time when I joined, the order had dwindled down to about five active members in San Francisco, and that was it. Yeah. A few far-flung nuns, we call them, had gone like here and there. There was something going on in Australia. But here in San Francisco and in the United States, that was it. And... So I joined that small group, and today we have orders on four continents, and there are probably 40 orders in the United States. Whoa. Yeah. We've got about 1,000 nuns now around the world. So it's really inspiring and amazing to think that there are so many people out there who understand who we are and feel the calling that we all felt here in San Francisco at the Mother House. And they're all doing the same types of things. Uh, activism, uh, uh, raising, you know, fundraising and, and uh, for sure. And well, that's the interesting thing about the sisters is as many of us as there are, we're all so diverse and unique. We're strong people with very strong personalities, but everybody develops their calling in their own way. So some people are feel compelled to serve 
intravenous drug users. Other people are really interested in working with youth. Some people are focused on the elderly. Sure. And there's always a cause that strikes a sister. And when you're a sister, you can bring it up. So the orders in Las, like Las Vegas has a wonderful drug assistance program. Atlanta is very active in homeless youth. They um, the orders have different things that they do in their communities and serve their communities how they need to be served. Go ahead, John. I'm not sure how to ask this these days when pronouns can be... Oh, don't worry about it. Are all the nuns males and, and, and dressed as nuns, or are there females dressed as nuns? Or I mean, are, what is the, lay, the situation of that? I mean, with a thousand people, I assume you'd have... Yeah. We got it all. The order is open to everyone of every race, religion, color, gender, the whole fluid spectrum. We, and we have had sisters that fit every one of those possible categories, and some that don't fit any category at all, who choose not to identify in any certain way. Mm-hmm. We even had sister heterosexual, sexual the nun too straight. We've had <laughs> many trans members. We have a lot of sisters of color. Um, very proud of the diversity of the order, although I'd like to see even more. It's not like the most diverse group in the world, but it's, it's pretty good. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Michelle Miao and John Zipper at the Commonwealth Club. We are here with our guest sister, Roma, the most photographed nun in the entire world Woo! and uh, someone so special and near and dear to San Francisco. Um, you know, we're talking about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, but we, we really wanted you here to talk about yourself and, and share some, you know, stories maybe that people have not heard before. You've been interviewed thousands and thousands of times, um, and we're going to get into, you know, some of the most recent work. But I'd love to hear, uh, you know, just maybe some stories about Michael. You talked about San Francisco being dreamy at some point in, in a way where I'm fantasizing of the community and all this this uh, fun that we used, used to have. 
and part of I think a new generation of San Francisco now is that uh, space has just been become limited for for LGBT, and we're just a little not just limited, but we're we're now a fabric of society in, in other places, so we're not all hanging out at the Castro. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not a, a gay refuge anymore. San Francisco was the beacon of hope for so many people who were oppressed and lived in fear, who were rejected by their friends and families just because of who they are. So people went to New York and they went to San Francisco and they went to Los Angeles where these big, giant gay communities developed and thrived. And everywhere you went, here when I first moved to San Francisco, we had a gay bank. Remember the Atlas Savings and Loan? No. No, you're too young. (laughs) But we did. Listeners, if you're of a certain age, you remember that there was a gay bank. When I first came to San Francisco, it was in the summer of my junior year in college, and it happened to be gay pride. And coming from a conservative small town like Grand Rapids, and it was like 1984, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I had never in my life imagined the number of people like me in one place, celebrating and cheering and screaming and the love and the fact that the parade went down the middle of Market Street through the financial district to the steps of City Hall. I mean, was there any wonder that I had to live here? I, I was just like, this is unreal. It's a mecca. It's a paradise. It's a fantasy come true. And I went home and I finished college and I graduated and I left skid marks. I got out of there so fast and I never looked back. You know, but it's not like that anymore, yeah. which is a good thing because it's great that you can be who you are and grow up in smaller communities mm-hmm. and not fear the persecution or the, you know, I mean, some people still do, obviously. I'm not saying that it's perfect everywhere, but you don't necessarily have to leave your town that you lived in or grew up in if you don't want to anymore. Mm-hmm. What about falling in love? Um, <laughs> yeah, <but> like, <laughs> like, you know, for me the, personally? For, yeah, here in, in, in San Francisco. And, and I've, I've never really asked you about your personal life. Every I know, time. as your beautiful wife is here in the audience. My beautiful wife is here. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> I have relationships that are so important and meaningful to me. I have, like, my best friend I mentioned, Michael. We've been best friends for 25 years. I love him. I have a lot of friends that I love very dearly. I personally, though, and I don't know why, and it doesn't really concern me, I've never been involved in a romantic relationship. I've never had like a significant other, a partner, a lover, hardly ever even a boyfriend. I did for a minute, but it was during the winter in Michigan, and it was nothing was going on because it was winter. But as soon as the <laughs> summer came, I was all like, you know what? <laughs> Sorry, this just isn't going to work. So I'm just, I just tell people I can't really explain it. It's just that I'm just not wired that way, and I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. And I see people around me who are very happy in their relationships. I am an ordained minister. I marry people. You know, and I mean, it's not like I'm opposed to it. It's just not, it's just not my thing. And funnily enough, you know, B.B. Sweetbriar, of course, obviously, another person who's never, other than her marriage, has never been in a gay uh, relationship. My other best friend, Shishi LaRue, uh, Michael, who else? We've got uh, several of our closest circle, uh, Ethelina, have never been in committed relationships. So maybe we've all found each other. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was just going to say it's because you've shared all your love with the community, which I'll get to in a second, what I mean by that. <laughs> well, I, I would just build on that. I mean, know, is, I, is, this, is this a full-time, uh, obses- not obsession, but you know, I mean, does it take all your time? It, it is an obsession. It is. I can't stop. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot of time. I have a full-time job. I'm the creative director for Naked Sword Falcon Studio Group. I've been in the adult industry for about 25 years now. 
I got into that through this one and through uh, friendships with Shishi LaRue. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I can be in drag up to four times a week easily because you know how it is. There's so much going on here in San Francisco. I mean, this is the place to be for a, our community is so passionate and so involved and so committed to every cause and every, everything. There's always a fundraiser. There's an, a rally. There's a gala. There's just, the drag show, there's everything. There's just so much to do. And luckily, even though I've been doing this for so long, 30-some years now, mm-hmm. 31 years, people still are interested <laughs> and still want me. Yeah. So, right. you know, you got to go as long, as long as they want you. Yeah. The people who are wanting you to come to their benefits and everything, is this mostly the folks who've been here a long time? Or do you find even, you know, the, the newbies who've come in, maybe are working at Google or whatever, are they also interested? Or is that an alien world of that? Oh, that's a good question. And that surprisingly, there has been an increased interest from people from all different walks of life, mm-hmm. all ages. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, I am verified on Twitter. Yay! Yes, I know. How so, hard is it to get verified? No, not that hard. It used <laughs> to be really hard. I've been verified for a while, but it became more common because people were concerned about authentic identities and things on there. So um, I, um, I have a large social media following. Thousands mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. yeah. So I, use, I enjoy it very much. I love social media. And that helps you stay in touch with people that would never normally know who you are or mm-hmm. understand you. And that's the beautiful thing about it. So speaking of social media... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to ask you about Facebook, and we we haven't really talked about you know my name is, which is a campaign you led to address the policies that that hurt the community in a lot of ways, uh, inclusive of the LGBTQ communities, but many other communities in which they had this idea of you know you had to authenticate yourself and you you had to use your real name, your your real name uh, as your uh, Facebook name. And so it's a it's a it's a policy that it doesn't understand. It's not inclusive uh, of issues that impact our community. And you led a fight to address that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're very close to the issue because you've, we've talked about this on your show before. And um, you're also as president of the Pride Board. We also have have it, it struck us all on very many emotional levels. So if I say things that you've heard before, I don't mean to bore you, but I yeah. will explain to your audience listening today that. Um, in 2014, Facebook decided to um, shut me out of my personal profile because someone reported me for not using my real name. So it became my mission to get Facebook to understand that you can't tell me what my real name is. And my identity as Roma is something that I've lived with for three decades. And you can't tell me that it's not real. Like This is how my community knows me. It's, it's how when I go to Starbucks and I order coffee and they ask my name, I say Roma. I, I don't hate my legal name. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not trying to change my gender or my identity or hide from anybody. It's just that I have become Roma, and that's the name that I use and the name I choose to use. And so it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be to get a hold of Facebook, so I went to Twitter mm-hmm. and started the hashtag, my name is Roma, and that caught the attention of local media, and then it went international, and it, and it basically went viral. Yeah. And... Uh, here in San Francisco, the the community was not going to take this lying down. A lot of people felt that it was going to impact their their pocketbook because we use Facebook to promote events and their clubs and their parties and things. But also, people like Alex Uin and Honey Mahogany and BB Sweetbriar, we also used it for political issues and to raise important uh, notices to our community about what was going on in the world. And we really used it as an important tool for our activism 
and to help people. And then it, uh, we discovered when we started the movement that it also impacted the trans community deeply because that's a community that has fought their entire lives to become who they truly are. And they, many of them don't have ID or a piece of paper to prove their name. Right, right. So we met with Facebook many, many times, and they have made a lot of changes to their policy around that and the way that you can appeal if your name is reported. Are you satisfied with what they've done, or do they need more to do, and what would it be? Well, you know, the thing that we wanted them to do right from the beginning was to remove the reporting option that says this person is using a fake name. Because if they did that, the whole problem would be solved. All of the other reasons that you can report someone on Facebook are based on behavior, and that's the only one based on identity. But they were never willing to do that, and they still have not done that. They did move it to the bottom of the list, you know, which, which to us seemed like, oh, great, thanks. But to them, it was a huge decision. <laughs> Everything that happens there is, is major. Sure. And it has to roll out in increments. And, you, you know, we want things to happen now, now, now. And to them, well, we're going to release it to 1% of our users and see how that goes. But when you consider they have a billion users, what's 1%? I can't do math. It's like a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, yeah, I'm very satisfied. And I'm, I was happy to find that. Facebook uh, definitely is not an enemy to our community. They respect and love our community. They don't hate drag queens. They don't hate trans people. And they were willing to listen to us. And they spent a lot of time and money working with us to make it better. And they implemented real changes. So, you know, I have to accept the victories in it and then realize that there's still going to be issues that it's going to have to work through. And I do still help people. Mm -hmm. You do. Get their identities back. And now, like, how many, four years later, I'm still... Well, it's interesting that... You had to go through all of that. You and everyone who was going through this had to go through this, all those meetings and fighting to get them to make this change because they were supposedly concerned about identity. And yet Russia can create zillions of fake Facebook things, swan- change right. an election. And right. yeah. they don't Here really we are. do much. We're just real people just interacting with our community. And some hater came along and thought that we all looked like crazy gay drag queens and they didn't like us so they were going to report us and so you know we were like don't you understand we're actually being bullied and you're siding with the bullies and they're like yeah we do kind of see that you know <laughs> let's point that out well I, I you know i wasn't going to go into depth in terms of like what you know the pride side i can't share some of the 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 stuff that went on when we just want the confidential it. stuff what but, is yeah, but yeah, I, will, I will confirm that a a person by the name of of mark made a, f- a personal phone call uh, completely distressed at the fact that uh, there was potential that they could not be a part of San Francisco Pride because of this policy. So thank you yeah. Yeah. for the work that you've done, and I hope that you know they continue to, to yeah, do the work that they need to do, do something about Russia. I and know. I wonder whatever happened to this Mark Jinglebretson or whatever his name was, huh? <laughs> he's, build, it will, he's building a fortress up on Church Street yeah. somewhere. <laughs> In a hospital and all um, kinds of things. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to move on from Facebook, and there was something else that I wanted to talk to you about, and that goes back to your love for community and this uh, thing about you that you're just not shy to share, and it's all for helping helping the entire community, especially you know people who keep coming into San Francisco to be out and to 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 live in it as a sanctuary city, even if it's not anymore. There was a Facebook post that you posted a, a while ago, um, and it was personal. And you shared your own journey uh, regarding you know drug use and 
and it was it was a it wasn't about you just sharing about you, but that you had a genuine concern for especially you know new young LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about? Yeah, that? sure. Yeah. So um, I began my career basically, if you want to call it what I have a career, um, hosting nightclubs. So I was a crazy sort of like a club kid. Sister Roma was I wore. My traditional nun's habit, but it was a lot of day glow and all sorts of things going on. And I partied. I partied real hard, and I got involved in cocaine. And eventually that we found out that, oh, there's this new thing called crystal, and it's really cheaper than cocaine, and it lasts a lot longer. So I was like, sign me up. So um, we would started partying that way. And then I discovered that you could smoke it, and I just became really in, in, into it. I, like, I loved it a lot. I used it almost every day for probably close to 15 years. Wow. Yeah. And the whole time I was doing that, though, I also managed to eke out a living and keep jobs and to keep an apartment and keep my teeth and my mind, <laughs> and which is a lot of things that people yeah. couldn't do. That, that's one of the problems with crystal methods. It's very insidious. It becomes your number one priority. You can lose yourself to it entirely. It becomes more important than your friends, your family, your job, your own health, all of those things, because it sneaks up and it just worms its way in there. I I do credit my work with the sisters as probably saving my life because I always realized that I had an important job to do. I appreciated the work that I did with the community, and I also wanted to respect the sisters that came before me and do my best whenever I went out. So that sort of probably helped keep me out of the spiral, the pit of completely using my mind to to meth. And I had a lot of friends who used it too, and... um, yeah, I just, it, I got really out of shape. I stopped taking care of myself. I weighed almost 300 pounds at, at the, at near the end of my crystal meth use. And um, I went to work, and I went up the stairs. And normally it wasn't unusual for me at this point to feel short of breath or feel dizzy. You know, that feeling where you're like, oh, am I going to black out, you know, um, after exerting myself. So I walked up the stairs at work, and I went into the bathroom, because I didn't want anybody to see me. And um, before I could even try on the light, I blacked out and fell and sprained my ankle and um, limped back to my desk unnoticed. And I sat there all day, and then it was lunchtime, and the guys were like, you know, let's go get lunch. And so I got up, and I was limping. You know, and they were like, what happened? And I'm like, well, I fell. I fell, and I finally, I just confessed. I was like, I blacked out in the bathroom. You're like, oh my God, you could hit your head. What's wrong with you? You might have a blood clot, blah, blah, blah. So Stephen Scarborough and Brent uh, Smith, who are my bosses at Hot House, picked me right up out of my desk and took me straight to the hospital, and they discovered that I did have a deep vein thrombosis, and there was all kinds of things wrong with me. And it was a real wake-up call, and I was like, you know, I, I never partied because I was shy or introverted or because I was depressed or some of the reasons that people use for using drugs. I did it because it was fun. And I realized it hadn't been fun for quite a long time. And I just quit. I said, that's it. I don't want to die. I I never did it because I wanted to die. I did it because I love life and I was having fun and it's not fun anymore. So I need to take care of myself. I need to stop and look and see what's really going on around me and... I just put it down, what, what, and I never looked back. Cold turkey? Yeah. Wow. That was in 2007. Wow. And I'm really lucky because not everybody has it that easy. A lot of people struggle with it and, and can't do it that well. And I, people approach me about it, and I'm like, I wish that I had some secret to tell you. I wish there was magic words that I could 
share with you to make you get where I am. I said, but there can't be a court order. Your doctor can't tell you. Your lover can't tell you. Your boss can't tell you. You have to tell yourself that you're done and you have to believe it and you have to mean it and you have to want it. And basically what you have to do is choose life. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Well, I saw, you know, many people who thanked you for your honesty and that by telling uh, your story, it encouraged them to take a deeper look at themselves. And I think that that type of honesty is the leadership that we need, especially for younger generations of LGBTQ who aren't necessarily living through an epidemic like HIV AIDS or uh, the liberation movement and things like that. Well, thank you for saying that. And you know, it's hard for me sometimes. I try as, as, as much as I'm on Facebook and social media all the time. I love, I love to share all kinds of news and stories and other people's news and stories, but I, there are some personal things that I think are just not, are too personal. Mm-hmm. Like my health issues, if, if I'm ever hospitalized for something, you will never see a picture of me hooked up to machines in the hospital, you know, with a sign like, you know, holding on for dear life. Like I don't, <laughs> it's just like, really, you need to put that on Facebook. So making those kind of posts, I and, and, and since then, I also have become completely sober. I just celebrated five years of 100% sobriety where wow. I put down everything. I don't drink or do cocaine. I'm a complete bore now. But um, so sharing those things on Facebook, I don't do very often. But when I do, the reaction is very positive. And just recently, I was at the We Need a More Organized a March to commemorate the gay historic landmarks of Polk Street last weekend. And I was on that walk with her, and we hung wreaths at all the different over 80 locations that had been gay-owned establishments, that bars and restaurants and places. And Cleve Jones said to me that he appreciated when I make those kind of posts and asked me to, to send out a message again because apparently it, uh, Crystal is ravaging the community again, mm-hmm. or had probably never stopped. But so, right. I mean, when Cleve Jones asks you to share your personal story, you better do it. 
So <laughs> expect another post soon. John, do you have any other questions for Roma before we open up to our audience uh, for Q&A? Before we get off yeah. that topic completely, um, how, what, what can the community do about the issue of, say, Matt, uh, Crystal? So there's certainly, you know, communicating what you've gone through. There are, are obviously programs to help people who aren't able to do it on their own. But what about keeping, especially those new kids coming into the area, off it in the first time? Because it's a culture that in some corners of it, this is pushed. This is not just something that someone falls into. And, um, you know, is, is there a way that the community can, without becoming like a coercive, you know, bunch of Nazis, um, change so that someone coming in is not seeing that as something that's going to make, that's not going to see it as their, their fun Yahoo thing that could end up killing them? Right. Well, that's, that's really a deeper issue. And the, the thing that has to happen is more people just have to learn to love themselves because I think people turn to drug use like that and then start to bring other people into that behavior who are suffering from a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope and pray for the day when it's not the norm to go to a party and have somebody offer you crystal meth. And then there are going to be young people who don't know what it is. Like, I didn't really know what it was when I started doing it. I just thought, oh, this is fun. And so hopefully people will, will not do that. But when you're involved in it, you don't see that. You don't see it as that kind of thing. You th- when you're involved in using crystal meth every day, you think you're fine. And you think everybody else has a problem. Hmm. So when you meet other people, you, first of all, you seek out people who use crystal as well. And then other times, uh, you're, you just invite other people into it. And if they go for it, you're like, yeah, you know, let's do this. Let's do some crystal and have sex. Because that's really one of the things you want to do the most when you're on crystal. Not condoning it. There's other ways. <laughs> but when, when your judgment is added. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I, you know, I want to thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm going to do a quick time check. I, I, normally my heart tells me when, where. But yeah, she has freakishly good sense of time. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, 1233 or so. Okay, so we have some time for Q&A. Um, if, if anybody from the audience would like to ask Sister Roma, any question? And, and this does get recorded for the program. Do we have a question from the audience? Okay. Um, Mike, there you go. So. Yeah, it's on. It's on. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I came from Asia, and I believe that uh, in the Asian society, uh, the LGBTQ voices are not being heard uh, too much, especially. Um, you know, media don't report um, news and or point of view or opinion of that community. So what would be some of your advices to that community and uh, enable them to get their voice heard as well? Where are you from? I'm from Singapore. Mm. Well, I was actually just, I went to Shanghai mm. For their sixth annual Shanghai Pride. Oh, Shanghai. I actually was born and raised in China, and my mother was from Shanghai. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what a beautiful city. I mean, it really is. It was, it's, it's a showpiece. I, I believe it feels like it's China's uh, grand presentation to the rest of the world. It's, it's very beautiful. 
Um, there's the Las Vegas. I was on the Bun side, so I was in the more historic part of Shanghai. But then across the water, there's it looks like Las Vegas. It's all crazy, but there were beautiful parts of Shanghai, and I was. Oh, is that the big thing? Is that a TV station? Yeah, is it? Right oh, okay. That's the TV tower. Oh, yeah. Next to it is the Grand Hyatt Hotel. Mm-hmm. And a building, another huge... Could you use the mic, please? Well, so they're building another. So that's the TV station you have seen, yeah. I guess. And the next to it is the Grand Hyatt Hotel. And they're building another very tall building. Uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe 100 stories. <laughs> it's spectacular. So, so and the shopping and the food. I mean, everything was really beautiful. But the thing that, that surprised us and made us the happiest was that we were invited by Shanghai Pride, which is new. I mean, it was just their sixth year. And as you said, there is a big problem, in, mostly in China, and it's really not even seen as a problem. It's just the culture where homosexuality is just not considered. They, they're, they're so steeped in tradition and, and respect history so much that it's just assumed. You could go up to your parents and say, I'm, I'm gay, I'm attracted to men, and they'd be like, that's nice to get married and have a baby. I mean, you, there's just no concept of it. So they've had a lot a long road ahead of them, and plus they have to work with the government. So there's strict rules in China where you are not allowed to form. You can't have groups. You can't have protests or demonstrations. So there's strict rules. They could never have a celebration like we have here at Pride where there's like a million people in the city. Um, so they have rooftop parties and they have events in bars and they have a, like a, a, a walk, like a healthy walk or a run because if you keep moving, it's fine. So they had to have like a gay Pride wa- mar- like wow. walk, not a march because that could be construed <laughs> yes. as, as a defiance to the government. Right. So um, I had a beautiful time there and – what was extra encouraging is the largest, most well-attended event was PFLAG, which is pre- uh, Parents, Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And that was the most well-attended and, and enthusiastic group of people at that event. So there's a lot of hope there. Yeah. for the Because if you figure there's a billion people in China, and 10% is the 10 to 13% is the estimate of gay people, that's a lot of gay people, a lot of lesbian people, a lot of trans people. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, do you know if any of your chapters are in Asia? There, there are not. We do not. We, people were like, are you going over there to start a chapter? I'm like, oh, I don't think they're there yet. <laughs> but the people were really receptive to us. I mean, they probably had never seen anything like us before. So when we went out in mass and yeah. we decided to, to do it, it was some debate because we we're like, I don't know. Do you think it'll be safe? We could end up in jail. I mean, you don't know. So uh, we rented a little van and we went to all the different public squares and places and walked along the Bund and People were definitely attracted to us, and we would stop, and we'd have groups of like 10 to 20 that would quickly grow into 50 to 100 people, and then you'd hear the police blowing their whistles and telling us to move along, cross the street. You can't, cannot have groups of people gathering like that. So you were in drag, mm-hmm. and that brings me to— Well, we made a movie yeah. about it, too. If, you, if you're interested in right. seeing the experience, it's called Stilettos for Shanghai. So it's a, it's a documentary made about that trip. And um, I actually used the release of that movie for a big fundraiser to raise money for Chechnya and Relief, which is an LGBT oh, wow. where LGBTQ people are being persecuted. So we raised money for Rainbow Railroad and for ORAM, the Organization for Refuge and Asylum. You're so great. Yeah, well, we raised twelve grand in one night for those yeah. two charities. So good. With that movie premiere. Yeah. Um, and and that's what I want to talk about is like you know when, when drag this this idea the history of drag and what it means to our community and how much work it's done really to 
smash, I think, conformity or these ideas that we're supposed to be this way as, as humans. And so for, like, you know, a country like China, I mean, I, I think just your presence in general is um, – it's doing a little bit of that. And recently there's been a lot of discussion about censorship and, and you know, kind of the things that we're allowed to say, the things that we're not allowed to say, it's become kind of complex. Like our language has developed even with the LGBTQ community. And, and I'm going to bring up the subject of RuPaul, for example. You know, mm-hmm. RuPaul being another famous uh, uh, drag queen activist who has a TV show uh, and, and all. Yeah. 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 She's about as famous yeah. as you can get. Exactly. You know, for a man wearing yeah. a dress, she's doing pretty good. <laughs> Um, and, and, and RuPaul had become controversy within our community when asked about, you know, trans inclusion or using words that can be offensive to the transgender community. So I wanted to ask you, you know, because you've been doing this for 30 years, there's obviously the need for evolution within even our own community, uh, as our community grows and your your thoughts and I, you know, on the evolution of drag expression and all that it means to our work Mm -hmm. that's it's a very topical important issue and i can assure you that in the 30 years that i've been doing drag and been sister roma and in the 20 years before that that i've been alive i've been called every name and i've heard people refer to me and people in my community and use words that are offensive and horrifying and sometimes you have to consider the intention behind it sometimes i i generally try to be pretty even keel with people and cut people a lot of slack. You know, I feel like, I honestly feel like everybody's a little too hard on themselves. They get a little too uptight. I want everybody to just kind of relax and don't be so freaked out by things you don't understand or things that look different. I just want people to just sort of go, oh, that's interesting. And not your first reaction doesn't have to be, what are you? Are you a man or a woman? What are you supposed to be? You know, it's like, it doesn't matter really. I find it really of- offensive, and that's another popular word these days. People get offended very easily these days. But I, I'm sort of offended when people are so concerned about if it's a man or a woman or what they're looking at. You know, it's like, what, what difference does it make? It's a human being. It's a person. We all have so much more in common than we do different. Our differences are null compared to the things that we have in common. So that shouldn't be that important. Now, with regard to RuPaul, she and I are about the same age, a little older than I am, but... Um, we came from an era where there were words that we used that were never meant to be offensive, that were never meant to be harmful. They were playful. Sometimes they were even an honor to be considered, you know, to be call each other some of these names. And it's hard to change your ways. It's hard to understand that some of the words that we use are not acceptable anymore. I happen to be uh, very close with a lot of people in the trans community. And when someone tells me that a word is being hurled at them as they're being beaten and sometimes even murdered, that it's it's a word that offends them, hurts them, that they don't want to hear. I'm like, you know what? I don't need to use that word anymore. So I try really hard not to. It's just not that big of a deal to me. I I don't need to use words that offend people. But that being said, I do think that some people are a little too, still too uptight around things. You have to just like, be like, okay, you just, you said that, you know, like that's, Good, good for you, girl. You'll figure it out. You know, you'll get there one of these days. But it's not gonna, it's not gonna define me, and it's not gonna destroy me. Thank you for that. I found myself sticking up for Melania the other day because she was the subject of 
uh, drag parody, and and I I was like, I don't know if I'm offended or 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 the question for me was what's the difference between parody and, or being offensive, um, and anyway, so so now I know, like you know, I can chill out, and they can make fun of Melania. <laughs> uh, any other Poor questions? Poor Melania. From- <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, from- if there's not, yeah. do you have a question? Oh yeah. All right, so we know how um, you raise money and awareness for lots of different things, but yet you really haven't ever you you've you've made the the drug use so personal that you don't want to share it, and sometimes you don't have a choice in sharing it because somebody else shares it for you. Is that going to change? What do you mean? How- well, I mean. You're not as open with your your past drug use in order to help people that are coming into the city. Is it going to change? Are you going to um, have people more aware of the dangers of drugs and and what could happen to them later down the line if they get involved with meth? You oh, know, right. Stuff well, that's like what that. those. Yeah, that is the intention behind those posts. And that post that you mentioned, I really didn't have much choice because BuzzFeed picked it up, so it went. Mm. It went really far and wide. So people are very familiar with the fact that I use drugs. And um, I, but the, the other side of it for me is I don't want to judge people. And I don't want, to, want people to feel like I'm judging them. I, I think it would be very hypocritical of me to sit here and judge people for almost anything that they're doing because it's probably something that I've done. And it's probably something that, and who knows, it might be something that I might do again, not just talking about drugs, but anything like that. So I really try to, like I said, I try to give people their space to figure things out on their own. Um, I try to live by example. I try to show people that you can live to be 55 years old and you can still be, you can not only survive drugs, you can thrive. You can have a beautiful, loving existence without alcohol. You can have a great time and make an important impact on the world. And sometimes you're going to use drugs, you're going to drink along the way, but hopefully it won't, like I said, define or destroy you. Uh, thanks for clarifying that. I had no idea that BuzzFeed had picked up an article. The way you wrote it, it came off as, I was like, oh, finally a leader, you know, who's going to be open. I didn't know open. they were going to do that. I was yeah. like, okay, well, I guess the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> huh? Um, question. Well, I, I actually wanted, so you joined the sisters back in 87. Mm-hmm. Did you totally come up with the 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 the, the look and the the name and all uh, all the characteristics of the I don't want to call it a, Sister Roma a character, but I mean that persona or whatever. I'm a character. Did, okay. Well, no. Um, did, no did you get or did, does the group kind of get together and say, oh, we need X Y Z? Well, the order had already defined certain parameters that we all had to work within, and that is that we wear we have a traditional habit, which is a more like a nun's habit, black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a veil, and of course the bright white makeup and colors, and then giant eyelashes are sort of the trademark. So if you see that, you're pretty pretty sure that you're looking at one of the sisters. And then after that, you have to go through about a year-long process to join. Really? And you learn all kinds of things about the history of the order. You learn about um, the work that we do. But you also learn how the community reacts to you, so you go through different stages. <clears throat> And during that time, you come up with your name. I did not have a year. I was rushed through. As I mentioned, there was only six. It was a much different world back then. <laughs> and they wanted to get me fully professed by Christmas so that they could, I could be the first nun to reserve her black veil in public. So I had about two weeks, and they were like, come up with a name, come up with a name. And I was all, eh, I don't know. 
So there were so many brilliant ones laying right in front of me, like Sister Pentecostal and just all these names that were just like so obvious. But my brilliant idea was that, well, I love the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. And then I thought, but I could change it to Rome where the Pope lives. So my full name is Sister There's No Place Like Rome. (laughs) So we've shortened it to Sister Roma over the years, but that's where my name came from. And then my face, I just, Norman, who I mentioned, Sister Luscious Lashes, just put me in front of the mirror and said, just try the makeup. And so I painted this really intense, super war paint look that has evolved and and softened a little bit over the years. (laughs) So in 30 years of making public... uh, uh, appearances you must have had other actual nuns come up to you we do we tell do. me some stories nuns are surprisingly fans of the work that we do mm-hmm. we have a lot of nuns who come up and appreciate us they refer to us as sister and thank us for our work and they get it mm-hmm. uh, there are nuns out there who do not like us but they will probably not come up and speak to us because one of the things that i've learned in the 30 years of doing this is that the people who don't like you and don't want to see you will not they could read a newspaper right through you. It's like they have blinders on and you are not there. And I'm like, hi, I'm wearing feathers and I could set it on fire, but they still wouldn't see me. And those are the people who really do need to see us. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, but you also have to learn how to give people their personal space. And even though they're not reacting, I know they know I'm there. <laughs> but the thing that also that I like to remind people is that people's reaction to you says a lot more about them than it does about you. Because I could walk from this corner to this corner down a block, and I have not changed. But I'll get the reaction from, oh, my God, you're fabulous. Oh, Sister Roma, can I have a photo? To, you know, what are you, is it Halloween? You know, what are you supposed to be? To faggot, you know, to all the, the slurs and the freaks and the horrible looks. And I have not changed from this corner to that corner. The only thing that's changed is the people and their reactions to me. So don't get hung up when people give, give you, bully you or leave awful comments on your Instagram photos or treat you mean in person. It really doesn't say that much about you. It says a lot about them. Absolutely. Last questions before we wrap up the program? I have one last question, and it has to do with a, a lawsuit, uh, a one-and-a-half a million-dollar lawsuit. Um. <laughs> a woman at the he works. Ten. He just started working at the New Hamburger Marys oh. in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a, a woman out of Denver. I think went to a Hamburger Marys. Tampa. Oh, Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. And um, uh, Tampa, Florida. Florida. Yeah, a Hamburger Marys, an iconic you know LGBTQ establishment. And there was a drag queen, and it was her birthday or some celebration, and so she was picked on to participate and. There, uh, the, the drag queen in question um, had supposedly or allegedly thrust her into her breasts right. and caused some damage to the tune of uh, $1.5 million to her body. She's suffered some, from some pain. So not taking away from her pain, but I do want to ask about, you know, drag queen's breasts and, and well, where do they come from? And if you think, in your opinion, they could cause such damage. <laughs> well, drag is very dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. I want everyone to know that. There should be a disclaimer. Now, you, when you go to Hamburger Mary's, and you see the atmosphere and the people in the restaurant and the people working in the restaurant and the, there's a figurine of a, like a drag queen holding a hamburger, you might know that there's a party waiting to happen. It's, the bar is notorious for its crazy antics, its drag bingo, its drag shows. <clears throat> 
This woman claims that she went in there to celebrate her friend's birthday, unknowing what lay in wait, what dangers lay in wait. And she says she tried to ignore the drag queen, which is always a mistake. If you, if you don't want to be selected by a drag queen, just like look her right in the eye and raise your hand and she won't pick you. And she'll go to the person who's turned their back to you. So she grabbed, apparently she tapped this woman on the shoulder and she took her and she did one of the, she gave her the drag queen motorboat, just shook her back and forth in her boobs. And this woman claims that she has uh, irreparable, repetitive headaches and emotional damage, and she's suing for $1.5 million. And I, that's, again, that says a lot more about that lady than it does about that drag queen or hamburger Mary's. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. And God love her for trying. People love to sue these days. I don't. I don't think she's gonna get it. <laughs> well, you're, I'm. A, I'm about like five two and a half. So every time I, I uh, hug you at an event and you've got boobs on, um, it's always a great place to be. So, yeah. so thank you for. And that. if it rains too, you can just stand right <laughs> under my boobs. You're good. If I had a dollar for the how many times that's been said at the Commonwealth Club. <laughs> Roma, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. And even on a rainy day, it's so beautiful here at the Commonwealth oh, Club. Gorgeous. Look at that Bay Bridge. I mean, seriously, don't we live in the best place in the world? We do. And it's because of people like you who are deeply committed, oh. even if you are forced into being committed in some way. Uh, I want to thank you for just sharing you and just continuing to do the work. I think she just said I should be committed. Did I you hear that, that forced? <laughs> be committed. She, she might fix that. She, for yeah, fun, yeah, that's post. what's well, happening. Who knows, you know, what's next or what kind of hit piece there is out there or whatever. And, and that's just the, uh, the new the new age of, of internet and, and what we do on social media. Well, speaking of, why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media, where they can find the sisters online? Oh, yeah. So the sisters.org is our website, T H E S I S T E R S.org. And you can find us all live in person in Golden Gate Park on Easter Sunday. It's our 39th anniversary. It's going to be fantastic. We have Children's Easter starting around 11 o'clock. There'll be face painting and games. And then as the day progresses, it gets a little bit more, a little bit more adult. We start with our Easter bonnet contest in San Francisco. Turns it out. The most amazing headpieces you'll see on stage. Then we do our Foxy Mary contest and our infamous Hunky Jesus contest, which I've emceed every year for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. It's spectacular. It's the most San Francisco event you can possibly do. It's 100% free. It's our anniversary party. It's our gift to the city. So come to Golden Gate Park on Easter Sunday. You can find me personally on at Sister Roma on Twitter at Sister underscore Roma on Instagram and Facebook, Sister Roma. Thank you all for joining us here at the Commonwealth Club. You can find this program on Progressive Voices, the Progressive Voices Network at michellemeow.com. And for more information about this specific program and more programming coming up here at the Commonwealth Club, you can head to commonwealthclub.org. Thank you. Thank you. That's fun. So Thank nice you so here. much. So glad to be here. Yeah. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, 
leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders.